Anybody feel the presence of the Lord blessing you today? If you do, say amen. I want to, uh, before I, we uh, actually turn to Scripture, I just want to make some introductory remarks because as we've been talking about five aspects and elements of wisdom, and I really do want us, for you and for me, I want us to be wise. Whatever stage of life we're in, I want us to be wise. And this last thing struck me out of so many verses in Proverbs about generosity and meeting needs and all of that. And of course, it flows in very nicely with what we've been talking about in uh, Sunday school with the one another's and then now talking about God's people around us. God is a relational God and he wants us to have a relationship with him which is phenomenal. That's above everything else. But included in that is also he wants us to be in relationship, in fellowship, or in community with one another. And so that's why in 1 John it says if you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar. The two things always go together. That's why Jesus said the great commandment is love God with everything you've got. And right after it, he said, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. God's always got that in mind. And our problem is we get isolated, we get selfish, and we get self-focused so many times. And wisdom is always going to be outward focused. Wisdom is supposed to be for not only our benefit, but also the benefit of other people. We share that wisdom. We walk in wisdom. We live in wisdom. And we train upcoming generations so that they might be wise in the Lord. We redeem the time, as Paul said, because we're not going to live as fools. You see, the world, they just live and they say, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And they don't get it that death is not a release. I heard someone say about a criminal the other day that died in prison that said they got the easy way out. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. There's an afterlife. There is a judgment. There's a heaven. There's a hell. And we live for eternity. God's word within us, God's people around us, and God's glory before us. That's the pathway to victory according to the scripture. So as we live in relation to one another, God wants to build something in our lives. He wants to build generosity. God's not poor. He doesn't need your money. He's not sitting up there going, oh, if only I had your hundred dollars or your thousand dollars or your million dollars. God owns it all. The thing is, God wants to work in your heart and in my heart to make us like him. It's called sanctification. We're being called out, set apart, and made holy. And what is the standard of holiness? Well, there's only one, and it's God. And God wants to take your selfish, stingy, uh, self-focused heart and turn it into look like his heart, a generous God. For God so loved the world, the next two words, he gave. He gave. You can... Give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And you can give and not be wise, but you can't be wise and not be a generous giver. And so I want you to think about that and then plug into this. Christians as a whole, when they do the research, give less than 3% of their income to the Lord's work. I'm sure the world looks at that and goes, wow, you guys are committed. When you look at revolutionaries in China, when they were 
becoming communist. Those people didn't give 3%. You know what they gave? Everything. They sold out to the cause. When we look at heroes in battle and victories that are won, they don't give 10% of their time and say, that's all, Uncle Sam. Gave you a tithe. That's all you get. And they certainly don't give 3%. We honor them because they gave their all. In fact, on many monuments, you will see that all gave some and some gave all. And it's those who give their all that we call the heroes. And God is calling us in our generation to be heroes for the cause of Christ. To sell out because everything we are belongs to God. The Bible says you're not your own. For you're bought with a price. And so you are to glorify God in your bodies which belong to the Lord. And we also understand that everything we have, the earth, the laws of gravity, the oxygen we breathe, the way that we are made, the way that we are designed, the way that we heal, the way that we can think, the way that we can interact, all of that is a gift from God because God owns it all. And God's not poor and God's not desperate for what you have or anything like that. He wants to bless you and He wants to use you and He wants to transform you so that you see that there's a greater cause to live for than just an iPhone or an automobile or a certain article of clothing or anything like that. There's something much, 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 much bigger than that and He wants us to be generous. Now, in my life, to combat this thing of Christians only giving about 25 to 3%, in my lifetime, I heard things like this. This is a, a quote. A man said one time, well, I'd be afraid not to tithe. Why? God might burn my house down. Well, that's motivating, isn't it? And that tells me about, oh, how I love Jesus, all of that. I heard another person say one time that if you don't tithe, your kids might get sick. I heard another guy tell a story. He said, back in 1953, my tithe was $17.28. Boy, he had it to the penny, didn't he? And he said, and I decided that time I wasn't going to tithe. And he said, you know what happened? My battery went dead. And I had to go buy another battery. And you know what it cost? $17.53. And then he said to us, and he pointed his finger, God's going to get his money. I was only in my 20s then, but I thought, sounds like the guy at the gas station got the money rather than God. Now, is that the way we're supposed to be motivated to give? Out of fear, out of guilt, out of shame, or to brag about it? And is it true that if I give my 10% to God... The rest of it's mine to do with whatever I please. Is that really the standard that God wants us to live by? With a calculator, figuring everything to the penny and saying, God, that's it. No more. I've done my part. I have heard people say from time to time when we take up a love offering, what are we doing that for? After all, I give my tithe to the Lord. And there's something about that that screams of legalism and stinginess and a lack of grace and almost kind of paying off God or a superstitious kind of thing that if I'll do this, it'll appease God and then he'll leave me alone. And then there are those 
people that will tell you that if you'll just give your 10%, God will make you rich. Um, I've got on a, a new jacket today. You like it? You better. My mother-in-law bought it for me. Okay. Pastor Appreciation Month. She wanted to do something for a pastor. And you know what she got for it? She had a wreck last night. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? And when people do that, they go, wait a minute. The preacher said that if I would give my 10%, I would get back 30, 60, or 100 fold. What's going on here? Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom? How do you explain then that somebody who gave and paid their tithe, as we say, have, they're battling cancer and they're paying insane deductibles out of their insurance? How do you explain that kind of stuff? It's hard, isn't it? And so a lot of people, I'm convinced, don't give because giving has been presented as a negative. I had somebody in this church, in this church, come up to me. And they, say, and they said to me, well, you know, if I didn't tithe, I could have a boat. And I said, keep it. God will deal with you. Because you know what the insinuation was? I'm paying your salary, buddy. And some people use that to manipulate, to intimidate Sometimes people will say, I don't think this church can live without my tithe. Well, we've kind of find out we may, it may hurt, but we can make it because God is the source of our supply, not you or anybody else. This is not about paying the bills. This is not about just simply keeping bad luck away from you. That's the opposite of anything that is presented in the Word of God, especially in the New Testament. We've got to move beyond all of that into the realm of grace and grace giving or we're going to miss the blessings of all of this. And so when I thought about this, I thought about those things that were on the screen. You know, if you don't tithe, God will burn your house down or God's going to get his money. Kids will get sick or I'm going to get rich if I tithe or any of those kind of things. And you know what it dawned on me as I was thinking about those Every one of those are focused upon me and not God. And when I read in the Bible about giving, I find that our generosity and our giving is to be an expression of our worship of God, our love of God, our belief in God, our belief in the cause of God and the kingdom of God, and it's supposed to be going out, not coming in. Now, do blessings flow back to us? Well, we're going to read, of course they do, but... That's not supposed to be our focus. Our focus, as we're going to see, is supposed to be upon the Lord. So we've got to be careful because, boy, your flesh and your heart can always find a way to make it about you. And then the devil will make sure that something happens to make you lose your faith or just to quit or something like that. And for those who say things like, well, I tithe because even though the New Testament doesn't command it, it's in the Old Testament. I want to do what the Old Testament says. Well, you can do that. You've got the freedom to do whatever you want to do. I just got some bad news for you. Did you know that in the Old Testament, it wasn't just 10%? They had three? So if you want to follow that and go by that, then you need to give about 23% of your income. Somebody say amen. No takers? Because in the Old Testament, they had one tithe that would go to pay for the Levites. 
Amen. That's like paying the preacher. The Levites didn't get an inheritance in the land of Israel. They didn't get land. They didn't get anything like that. God said, I want my people to pay a tithe that takes care of them. Israel is the inheritance of the Levites. And so the money would come in. There was also a tithe that they would pay to make sure. I mean, can you imagine what it would cost to run the temple? All of the ceremonies, all of the feasts, all of the robes, all of the golden um, instruments that they would use. Read the construction of the tabernacle and, and think about it. That's expensive. So one tithe went to that. And then there was another tithe that was taken up uh, every three years for the cause of the poor. It was like in their day, the people of God took care of those who couldn't work, for those who were the widows, for those who were handicapped, those type of things. The orphans, they would take care of that kind of stuff. And so it would average out to, uh, they would give about 23% of their income uh, when they would do that. It was kind of more like a tax, I guess you would say, to, to run things. And so you could see some people would cheat on their taxes. And so in Malachi, the Lord had to say, you're robbing God. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in there. Why? The Levites were starving. The priests were starving. The people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And God cursed the land, cursed the nation because they weren't doing that. You can see why. And so God was telling them, you need to get busy and you need to, just like the IRS would do with you, you need to make sure these things are taken care of. This was a legal, a lawful requirement for them. And I don't know of anybody who is saying, well, you need to tithe your income, but make sure it's 23%. Nobody does that. Somebody said to me one time, they said, well, okay, I know that's Old Testament law, but you remember Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Jacob at Bethel, he must have had a great experience with God because he became a tither right after that, and it takes a great work of God to make a man a tither. But I'll also remind you, too, that before the law was given, those things took place before the law, but so did animal sacrifice, and we don't sacrifice animals. And also, can I remind you that when Jacob and Abraham did that, they did it voluntarily. They didn't do it because it was a law. They didn't do it because it was required. It was a voluntary free will gift unto the Lord. They were so moved with gratitude and so moved with love that that was their motivation. It was the grace of God. And so when we read in the Bible different things about the giving and how it is supposed to be, I'll call your attention to uh, a verse that I know is probably um, very familiar to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, I get that. Each one must do, listen to this, as he has purposed in his heart. Okay? Not simply because of a legal requirement. What is your heart wanting to do? And if you don't want to give generously to the Lord, that's not a problem of finances. That's a problem of the heart. Purpose in your heart. Now notice, not grudgingly 
or under compulsion. It's not supposed to be a legal thing that comes up. For God loves not a compulsory giver, but a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Translation, God wants his people to live in such a way so that their needs are met and they have enough left over to generously give whenever a need arises and they do it for the Lord. You think about in the book of Acts, in the early chapters of there in the early church, whenever a need came up, people would sell whatever they had in order to meet the need. Why? They had a generous heart. They didn't have a 10% and no more. more. I'm in the 10% club. That's all God's going to get. 10% is his and 90% is mine. Didn't have that mentality. I saw a thing in a bulletin one time that the offering was labeled His Tithes and Our Offerings. And I looked at that and I thought, no, it's all His, not just part of it. In fact, even a tithe would be a 10% reminder that 100% belongs to God. And He may ask you for all of it. There are stories in our own church of people who gave way beyond a percentage because they gave their hearts. There are stories in the Bible about the Macedonian believers who gave out of their poverty just simply because they gave themselves to the Lord first, the Apostle Paul says. There's a different motivation than pay up, buddy, or pay the price. There's a different motivation in all of that, and it's the motivation of love. It's the motivation of honoring God, and it's the motivation of grace. It's a bigger cause. It's a higher standard. It's a greater calling than just take a calculator, figure it out, grudgingly drop the check in the plate, and then resent all of it and go, I could have bought a boat. It's more than just giving to the point to where you can go up to the pastor and say, after all, my tithe pays the electric bill. What are you going to do without me? It goes way, way, way beyond that. I think about the times when Jesus uh, ran into some of these kind of things. What did he say to the rich young ruler? Give 10% you're good? He actually said, sell all that you have. You remember Jesus is at the temple and all of the people were coming in legalistically paying their tithes and offerings to the Lord. And none of it got the Lord's attention except a widow. And the widow put in her two mites. Did the Lord stop her and say, Ma'am, 10% is all you need to give. He didn't do that. In fact, he commended her because she gave A-L-L, all to the Lord. All to the Lord. Let that sink in. In fact, he went on to say, the other people, yeah, they gave bigger amounts, but they had a whole lot more left over. And God sometimes looks at that. It's not just the amount that you give, but how much do you have left over? How much did you hold on to? How much did you say to the Lord, I'll give this, but hands off of the rest? You see the problem? And we become stingy, we become self-focused, we begin to think that God owes us something and why isn't he paying up? After all, look what I've given to him. Sometimes we may brag about it to other people, sometimes we may use it to manipulate things that go on in the church, all of this kind of stuff. And there's a whole lot of flesh 
and a whole lot of wickedness that comes into all of that. So I want to talk about the grace model of giving in the New Testament. And it's reiterated in the book of Proverbs. And it's called wisdom when it is in the book of Proverbs. And it's this idea of generosity. So let's just look at a few verses here. And I would say, number one, I've already said this, it's about generosity. It's not about an amount. It's not about a certain percentage. It's about generosity. For the Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. And that last part says that as you give to God, God is going to make sure that all of your needs are being met. Now, if you give... With a superficial motive, you're giving for yourself, you're giving grudgingly or of necessity or something, and you're not a cheerful giver, well then none of this really applies to you. This is for the generous soul. And God pours blessings and abundance into the soul of those who are generous. Why is that? Because he can trust them with it. He can trust them with it. And there are some people throughout history that you read their biographies, people that were wealthy and they gave it all away for the cause of Christ. Now, are you supposed to do that? I don't know. I know you're supposed to be surrendered in all of it and be a steward of it because it all belongs to him. And he may say, I want all of it. And that would be his right. That would be his prerogative. But the Standard also in Scripture is you're supposed to pay your bills, you're supposed to pay your debts and get out of debt, and you're supposed to provide for your own family member. In fact, the verse that says if a man does not provide for his own, he's an inf worse than an infidel and has denied the faith is in the context of taking care of widows. you got a widow in your family? Take care of her. Don't just put it off on the church and say they ought to do something. Families are supposed to take care of families. Well, that's the way God wants us to operate. Take care of your family. Take care of your needs and all of that. But do it in such a way that you have a generous heart and you are also making sure that you are generously giving unto the Lord. Not just scrimping by and not just figuring everything to the penny and not acting as if God doesn't own anything or that he owes you. Because if you do that, you water others, refreshing them, enriching others, blessing them, meeting needs in their life. You know what God said? You're going to be watered yourself. So it's about generosity. It's about people in peril. It's about people needing growth. And it's about your heart becoming more like his. Okay? Secondly, notice that this idea of wisdom and generosity, it's about sowing and reaping. This is interesting because it comes up several times in the Bible. But in Proverbs eleven twenty four, it says, There is one who scatters, he's giving, and yet increases more. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? And there is one who withholds more than is right, in other words, he could give it, he just doesn't want to because he wants to hold on to it. And what does it do? It leads to poverty, Solomon says. I don't know about you, but have you ever noticed how people that have the spiritual gift of giving, they seem to always be pretty well off? It's amazing. Because God trusts them by pouring into their life because he knows that they are going to be a channel of blessing to other people. And I was praying about that one time, and somebody said, you know, money won't buy happiness. And I said, Lord, I'd sure like to try. Right? 
Can we just give it a shot? I think I could do it a little better than other people could. And, of course, I'm being somewhat facetious there, but I also began to realize that if God doesn't give it to me, it may be because he really couldn't trust it to me. I'd hoard it. I would trust in the uncertainty of riches, uh, all of those kind of things. And God would say, I want you to trust me, not your bank account, not your resources, not your ability to hold on to things. I want you to trust me. God is a generous God. God is a giver. And I believe God wants us to learn how to do this as well. And so he's working on us. It's easier for some, granted, than it is for others. Some are more selfish than others. Some are more insecure than others. And God knows that. God knows that. And he's not mad at you about it. He's teaching you. He's training you. And he's bringing you through some things. And so God tells us here, there's one who scatters and yet increases. You can't outgive God, in other words. And I've seen so many times in so many different situations where people would say, I felt impressed of God to give this. And it was something that might have been even coming out of their savings account or something. God really wants you to do that? Yeah, He really does. I'm convinced God wants me to do it. And they're doing it out of love for God. And it's amazing how things come back to them because God can trust them with it. So how much can God trust you with? And are you seeing those kind of miracles working in and through your life? Well, you can hold on to it and you can refuse to do that. And Solomon says, but that leads to poverty. And there's a whole lot of kind of poverty uh, a lot more kind of poverty than just a lack of money. Sometimes it could be, as the Bible says, a leanness in your soul. And that's a hard, hard, hard thing to live with. I read about a multimillionaire who at one time was the richest man in the world before there were any billionaires. And he had all the money. He had more money than he could spend. But he was reduced because of stomach problems to eating soup and crackers. Couldn't even enjoy most of it because of what it had done to his life. The Bible says also in Proverbs that God makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. And I think about some of the people that becoming rich or winning the lottery or those kind of things that we think would be a great blessing turned out to be the biggest curse of their lives. And they ended up maybe with a lot of money, but they had poverty in relationships, poverty in their soul, poverty of joy, a poverty of enjoying what God had given them. And you don't want to end up that way. That's not the way to go. Thirdly, notice that it's also about planning. There have been people here in our church that we'd take an impromptu uh, blessing bucket. Remember the time when our church, uh, when Brother Dale was going to go to China and Bill Green was talking about all of the books that were needed to give to pastors in China and uh, in an impromptu offering, our church gave all of them. You remember when Enrique and Montoya came and we didn't even know he was coming and I told him he could have a few minutes to speak and he got up and spoke about what they were doing in Venezuela and how they needed Bibles and we gave an impromptu $12,000 offering. Remember those kind of things? And there are times when there have been people in our church that they've needed something. We had a, a thing in our Sunday school class this morning where somebody said that they needed a bed and somebody across the room said, we've got one and don't even have to tell the church, taken care of. There's something about that kind of thing that brings great, great, great joy. I remember Papa Sam saying, whenever Graceway sings and they give, the Spirit of God moves in a mighty way. So you can see the attack of the enemy 
on our singing, and on our giving. And what happens? We have poverty. We have leanness of our soul. And I've also seen people that whenever we do one of those impromptu or blessing bucket offerings or a love offering for a special guest, I've heard people say, well, Brother Greg, I really wanted to give a whole lot more, but I just didn't have it. And then they turn around and they say, where y'all want to go eat? So something seemed to be wrong with that. We've got money for ourselves and our projects and all of that, but we just got a dime or two, a dollar or two for the Lord's work, and we wonder why we're not effective in our warfare, because the devil doesn't respect us. We wonder why the world is not impacted, because they don't respect us, because we don't put our money where our mouth is. When W.A. Criswell was pastor at First Baptist Dallas back in the 40s, he was at the OU Texas game. And he was sitting there with people from his church on the Texas sideline. And he said there was an obnoxious Oklahoma fan down in front of him. And I said, amen. I get that. That's a joke. Don't take it personal. (laughs) And the guy stood up and he said, hey, all you Texans. And he held up a $100 bill. He said, we're going to beat you by two touchdowns. I'll take odds. This is it. Nobody, Nobody wanted to take him up. And then later on, he stood up. Game was going Oklahoma's way, I'm assuming. And he said, hey, all you Texans, I got this $100 bill, and I'll give you three touchdowns on it. Nobody took him up. Dr. Criswell said, I want that man in my church. Somebody said, why? And he said, he believes in his team, and he puts his money where his mouth is. Isn't that true? You give to what you believe in. You give to what you think is going to bring joy into your life. You give to what you think is going to bring security in your life. And so many times, God is not factored in that at all. So you got to be careful. It's about planning. Do you budget for your giving? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Plan for your giving. And number four, it's also about the heart. And notice that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, He who sows sparingly, we get that, will reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. It's a heart thing. It's not a regulation thing. It's not trying to gain something that God may like me better if I give more. It's not about that at all. It's my heart is so full of joy and I have a cheerful heart and I'm cheerful, hilarious as I'm giving, the Greek word says, and God is the one who takes care of my life and my abundance. And also, I think this is the biggest one of all. It's really about honor. Honor who? Honoring you? No, no, it's not about the big telethon where you give the big check and get all the adulation. It's not about that. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord. Does anything else need to be said? How do I honor the Lord? Honor the Lord with your possessions. Do you do that? And with the first fruits of all your increase. You don't wait and say, what do I have left over after I've paid everything that I want, done everything that I want to do? Well, I've only got a little bit, but I'll give that to the Lord. No, it's first fruits. Off of the top, plan to give to God first. And he said, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. But the key is not just, I gave a lot, God owes me. The key is, I honored God. And those who honor God, he says, 
them I will honor. That's what he said to Samuel. Those who honor me, them I will honor. We want to honor the Lord. And by the way, one of the things, uh, tithing's only mentioned eight times in the New Testament, never as a command. And it is interesting that there's one time where Jesus actually rebuked a tither. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you. That's a term of judgment. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, let's make the main thing the main thing. And they would tithe out of their spice cabinet. Any of you done that? And yet, what did God say? You're a hypocrite. You're not outwardly focused. You're doing it for the praise of men and doing it for your own benefit. It's dangerous to get involved in those kind of things. So let's wrap it up. What should a wise Christian do? Well, I would just suggest this. Realize that everything belongs to God and not to you. You're a steward. And realize that the goal is to become like your father, both wise and generous from your heart. I would encourage you to pray, to plan, and to budget your giving. And that's where something like the tithe principle does kind of help as long as you do it with the right spirit because you can actually budget a percentage of your budget and you can plan for that type of thing. And also remember that it's an act of worship to honor the Lord, not simply to pay a bill or get God off your back. It's worship. The offering time is worship time. And then you expect God to bless and to be thankful. And I close with a quote from Spurgeon that's not actually about giving, but boy, does it ever apply. It says this, and I quote, A man who is really saved by grace does not need to be told what he is under, that he is under solemn obligation to serve or to serve Christ. The new life within him tells him that. And here's the deal. When people get genuinely born again, they don't have to be told to be generous. They don't have to be told to serve. They don't have to be told to give. Their only question is how and how much. And what if you went to God and you said, Okay, God, I want to be a giver. I want to be wise. And I want to be generous. How do I do it? And how much do you want me to give? Because it all belongs to you. So will I do that? How will I take care of my family? No, remember I said you got to take care of your family. But you honor the Lord first and He'll make sure that you're able to take care of your family. And it gives... A lot more than just keeping the lights on or the air conditioning going at the church. It testifies to your family. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It testifies to everyone in your family. We are Christians. We are honoring the King. There's a cause that is bigger and greater than everyone else. And we're not doing it just because somebody told us we have to. We're doing it out of love for the Lord. We're planning for it. We're ready for it. 
I remember Junior Hill telling a story about back a long time ago, somebody gave him $100. And he said, and he took that $100 bill and he folded it up about eight times and he stuck it down in his wallet where his wife wouldn't see it. Back then is a lot of money. Still is, but back then is a lot. And he was in a revival meeting one time and he realized that there was a need that came up with a member of the church and the church was talking about it and the Holy Spirit tapped him on the shoulder and said, $100. And he said, but Lord, that's mine. God broke his heart that he had taken what someone else had given to him as a gift and he took it as a possession. And he took it and became stingy. And he didn't want to give it. And he said, and that night he took that wallet out and he unfolded that bill. And he put it in that offering. And he said, I'll never forget how free I felt. Because that hundred dollar bill, I didn't have it, it had me. And as he gave it, he gave it saying, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. To take care of me. And he told story after story after story. How God replaced that and more in his life. And then he opened up his wallet. This was just a few months ago. At the evangelism conference. And he pulled out his wallet. And he pulled out a hundred dollar bill. And he said from that time forward. He said I carry a one hundred dollar bill. That I never spend. I always give it away. And when God replaces it. I find another way. To give it away and to give it away. And he started weeping and he said, And you know what? I've never had a time since then that I didn't have at least a hundred dollars to give away to somebody else. And God waters my soul through my family, through my grandchildren, through my ministry, through my health, through my relationships. And on and on and on he went. See, that's a wise man. And I want you to know that wisdom as well. Don't just write a check and pay a bill. Write a check and honor God. Write a check and give it to the Lord. And watch how He blesses you. Give to other people. Be free with whatever God gives you. Don't grasp it. That's how the enemy gets a hold of you. Carl Kerrigan was up here one time. And he had a little pot. And it was narrow at the top and wide at the bottom. And you remember some of you who were there. He told us that in the Philippines that's how they catch monkeys. He said they would put things like a cookie or something inside of that pot. And the monkey would put his hand inside the pot. But when he grabbed the cookie he couldn't get his fist out. And somebody would come up, club the monkey and take him away. And he was toast. And he said I saw in that an illustration God gives us things and He blesses us so abundantly. How many of you are blessed today? Would you say amen to that? And we reach in and we say, Mine! And we hold on to it so tightly we can't get free. We can't get free. And the enemy comes up and clobbers us. Why, God? I don't understand it. Because God is working on your heart to really make you free indeed. Where you don't have anything that entraps you. Nothing that holds on to you. And God can use you as a pipeline of blessing to other people. Don't stop it up with foolishness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give freely, give generously, and give under grace. Not compulsory, not of necessity, for the Lord loves a...
cheerful, cheerful giver. And you'll never be more like God than when you give. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How can we fail not to be like Him? How can we fail to be like Him? There you go. Double negatives. Okay. Would you uh, bow with me in an honest, open, and sincere prayer from your heart? Father, selfishness is ingrained within us. And even when we give, it's hard for us not to give with an ulterior motive. It's hard for us not to want to control things. It's hard for us not to want recognition. It's hard for us not to be frustrated if you don't do back to us what we think you ought to do in the time we think you ought to do it. And we become discontented. We become unthankful. We become ungrateful. And then we become like that monkey holding on to the cookie and we get clobbered. Lord, we want to be like you. And when you gave your son, you didn't give your son grudgingly. You gave your son freely to us because of your great love for us. And Lord, you pour so many great blessings into our lives that we don't even stop and say thank you for. We think we're entitled to them. Lord, forgive us for being greedy, for being selfish, for trying to manipulate you. Forgive us, Father, for those times when we become like the Dead Sea, gathering things in and there's no outlet to it. We want to learn how to be generous because it's wise to be generous. The soul that waters shall be watered. Well, if there's dryness in our soul, it's because we're not watering other people. So, Father, we want to repent today and we want to ask you to help us with all of this and thank you that you are so patient with us. Thank you that you want to meet all of our needs, not only our individual needs, but even the needs of the church. And you do it through your people. But Lord, may it never ever be said that we didn't believe in you and we didn't believe your word and we didn't believe in the cause. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen.